Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I don't know. Obviously, Kelvin's opened the coffers to make this sign-in. <laughs> We obviously haven't got the financial spending power of, of Wolf. He's <laughs> 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 and a half. I know, he's probably no uh, Stuart Psycho Pierce. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the podcast equivalent of a Frankie Balfon shoulder barge. I'm Tom Reed and the head of Halloween. I'm joined by Andy, dead body fish, and Halloween mm. Brad. How are you doing, guys? You're right. Very good. Well, better have my uh, name appropriated into a Halloween title, mate. Exactly. He, he That's the want... first. <laughs> Andy, we're playing Wigan on Saturday. And that game always seems to have like a fond memory for you because of your your photo opportunity back in the 90s, wasn't it? Was it um, about 97? You were photoed in the away end at Springfield Park of all places. That was the last game of 95-96. And yeah, I was at university at the time and me and some mates piled up to Springfield Park. They were far cry from what they went on to, really, in the Premier League days when it was all nice and shiny and yes. spanking new stadium. Um, yeah, and, and Jason White scored that last-minute winner to deny them a, a spot in the playoffs right in front of us. And then, yeah, we almost got our heads kicked in on the way back to the station as well, which which was quite a memory. I remember being really scared. <laughs> the, the, the great thing about that photo that you're, you're appearing is that for... Football shirt collectors, it was football shirt Nirvana because there were so many of those lotto shirts, the home and away with the zigzags across mm. the top. If if those were available now, that they would be worth a pretty penny because they go for a fair whack on the internet. It was just uh, when you see that, just that absolute vintage kit, well, and everyone had one. Do, I can't find mine. What? I think I yeah, I totally forgot I had that until I was yeah. leafing through that Pete Norton book, and it was it was the classic, wasn't it? The white with the uh, the, the gold trim at, at the top. And, I don't even remember having it, let alone it being in the bag that was been thrown out somewhere. Someone's thrown oh, out. Mate, can you imagine? I had that yellow and blue striped carpet super centre number, which I thought was quite fetching at the time. No, and I like that. I, I would kill for that now. I'd kill for that now. I think that's such a classic. And they're just so hard to come and, by. 
yeah, but that's what definitely one for the collectors. So, Andy, what's your um, football moment of the week then? You've been keeping your ears to the ground. It was uh, Bartomeu at Barcelona, the president who's fallen out with uh, the club, sort of on his way out with the rest of the board, wasn't he? On Tuesday, and he just sort of casually uh, slipped into the middle of his 30-minute press conference saying, no, 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 I don't want to be president anymore. Just saying, yeah, we've just agreed to sort of, you know, sort of lay the foundation to um, be part of this sort of a European Super League. I mean, obviously the details have got to be thrashed out. He sort of dropped mm. it in there. Uh, Red wanted to. My Spanish is a bit rusty, so I'm going. You know, I'm going on reports of that press conference. Um, yeah, and so he sort of slipped that in, and then one or two questions followed on from that. And um, yeah, basically he sort of, uh, you know, kind of lit a match on the whole thing, and then walked out and said, "Well, I'm not even going to be in charge when this is all going to be happening anyway." So deal with it and I just thought you know when you were younger and you thought um businessmen and people in suits were bright and clever and sorted mm. and ran things sensibly and then the older yeah. you get you realize no they're just big babies and it all just gets very childish and you think well sod it you know I'll just um I'll sort of light a match to this and then I won't be around to deal with the consequences see ya isn't it funny how a massive club like Barcelona, things can get so so childish to an extent and, and so political. You just think yeah. that it's called mesquite and club, isn't it? They're more than a club, but sometimes the the activities around the club don't seem to match up to that. Yeah, I mean, it's it was it was just a little bit pathetic and kind of another little sort of um, example of how bad things have got at the at the upper echelons of the game, you know. Yeah, that's very true. And of course, Messi is welcome at Northampton Town, but might not do the fundamentals good enough for Keith Carl. So he might struggle to get into the team. <laughs> uh, Ian, Ian, over to you, mate. Have you been down to um, Chile Village this week? Getting your Friday no. 95 meal deal on? No, I, I, it's sad, isn't it? Working from home, I, I hardly leave my house these days. Um, oh. But, you know... I mean, just just a few points from what Andy was saying. There's nothing more scary in a, a fitting story for Halloween than the trip to Wigan, isn't it? That's like horror at, at its <laughs> point as well, Andy. What what you were saying about you know when you were when you were a kid, you think adults run the world responsibly. That leads nicely on to, to my one. I remember my sister saying this to me. Like she when my sister was younger, she used to do um, sailing, you know, like dinghy sailing, and then she did a regatta at the Isle of Wight, and she said that. She came back from that. I think she was about 15, 16. She came back from that. She's saying, yeah, I came back from that and I realised that, that um, you know, these people that were supposed to be running this thing, they were just like, I realised adults don't run the world. There are no adults. Everyone's just kind of like a grown-up kid. You know, you, yeah. you, you, look at, <laughs> you look at this country, this government and their response to, you know, everything that's going on at the moment. You just think, who's in charge? And, and it also it gets even more scary when the people in charge are around your age as well, because you look up to them when you're younger as, oh yeah, they're the adults, they're the grown-up. I think Matt Hancock is actually younger than me, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, he's, and he's the health secretary. But um, yeah, my, you know, we spoke about Rashford <laughs> last week. Um, a, lot, a lot of the criticism he's had is the usual cliches, and it stuck to football, mate. Well, he did stick to football this week, didn't yeah. he? And he scored, he scored a hat-trick. Well, he didn't just stick to football. He carried on with his brilliant campaign as well, but he also scored a hat-trick at you know, the highest level of the European game. And in his spare time, he's feeding the nation's hungry children. So maybe all his critics should stick to politics and stick to doing their job because he's doing a better job with his proper job than they are at their proper job. You know, 
and on the side, he's doing better than them as well. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, mate. Oh, I doff my cap to that. Have you seen that video of Matt Hancock? I think he's doing karaoke. Yes. Some oh. Tory event, and it's just um, like chinless wonders in the audience, just like soul yeah. deaf audience. I think he's singing Queen, or I can't remember what it was, but it's absolutely f- horrendous. There's a photo of him trying to do a header as well, isn't there, during a. Oh. Mate, I guess, just going to say that. Oh, so you've got, sh- you've got sh- Hancock shying away from this dropping ball. So yeah. Hancock can't do a header. Boris Johnson, when he tried to tackle someone, went in for a rugby tackle. Like, how can you trust these people in power when they can't do the basics of football? Do you know what I mean? I think everyone should have a, a basic level of football to get into government. Maybe there should be like a football test before you get in. Can you pass with a side foot? I'll can tell you, like... I can't, I can't criticise him for his heading ability because I am one of the worst headers of the ball in the English game. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take a pop at him for that one. Yeah, but you're not scared of the ball, though, are you? That's the point. No. Matt Hancock, I wouldn't trust him to run a bloody provincial Halfords, let alone, you know, where the high office he's in. I just cannot get that guy whatsoever. Every time he, he speaks, he sounds completely unconvincing, like he doesn't believe what he's saying. And yeah, like we said, he can't. If you can't head up properly, sorry, Ian, you're never going to get in. You shouldn't get into government, in my opinion. You have to. You can have to keep your poli- political ambitions to one side. <laughs> I think Danny Dyer summed it up completely, didn't he? Danny yeah. Dyer on his interview, he just said basically, you can't have people from Eton and you know public schools running the country because they've tried it and it's not worked and clearly you need a well, you didn't say it in these words but you need a wider demographic you need a few more working class people in there and i just think danny Dyer nailed it so fair play danny Dyer. my uh, football moment of the week is actually it made me laugh a little bit the efl trophy you formerly called the checker oh. trade trophy <laughs> to the detriment of that company and actually there was a half man half biscuit song called swear in the checker trade which is really good if you can you can search that one out um it's been without a sponsor for a while, and it's this godforsaken tournament, which has got B teams in it, which has been boycotted to a large extent. But this week, for some reason, Pizza Papa John's, the pizza company, decided they were going to sponsor it. And um, against League Three, the boycott uh, Twitter site, which is organised and helped the uh, B team boycott for to a large extent, this week they tweeted a picture of um, a Domino's pizza box saying that they were never going to eat pizza of Papa John's again and they were going to go with Domino's. And I think that's the kind of protest everyone can join in. Pizza-based boycotts. So go with Domino's or go with, you know, whatever, a cheap-ass, you know, small pizza company like Pizza Hot in Daventry, which I can really recommend. In the days when I actually could eat pizza before I went gluten and dairy intolerant, there was another um, independent... Um, pizza place in Coventry that we always used to go to when, when we used to be allowed to go and see the in-laws before you know I've only been able to meet them outdoors and yeah. um it's called um snappy tomato pizza and I used to love going in there <laughs> can I have a tomato pizza please and make it snappy <laughs> I bet they loved that didn't they I bet they had that about 50 times a day <laughs> I don't know I like to think I've got you know Arsenal Fantonians have got a higher level of intellect <laughs> Yeah, but the bar is set so high by Chili Village, mate. Well, yeah. go. So Pizza Hot in Daventry just sounds a bit like there's one in actually in Northampton down near South Central. Pizza Hot sounds a bit like Pizza Hut, but not obviously not not close enough. And uh, there's one in rugby called Pizza the Action, which I'm I'm liking. Oh, mate. Ian can go in there, and you know what Ian's going to say? He's going to say, "I'll have a Pizza the Action." <laughs> <laughs> That's sensational. <laughs> Let's move on to a bit of. Uh, a news roundup. We do a little bit of a news roundup every week. 
well, most weeks. We'll just quickly go go over Portsmouth for Cobblers Neil, which was pretty dreary. Did you know uh, the game didn't pan out great? Obviously, four 0 to Pompey. I just thought the reaction was quite interesting, actually. Like some people were saying, you know, fair game, they deserve to win and stuff. And it just it seems to me like quite a lot of Cobblers fans are just making excuses at the moment. I just think we should just call a spade a spade with the performances at the moment. They are they are pretty crap. Um, I think Keith Carr is running out of excuses to an extent, but there are there are reasons, you know, we haven't had the easiest time with, with COVID, but let's just call a spade a spade and just see what happens on against Wigan on Saturday. We're speaking to a Wigan fan, he's going to give us a down low on how they're getting on, but yeah, it's pretty poor at the moment. Um, yeah, you know, after that, we got some news of the FA Cup round one proper Oxford City v Northampton Town, which looks like a huge banana skin at the moment, but that's been moved to BT Sport on Monday, 9th of November at 7.45. So it'd be interesting to watch that live on uh, BT Sport. That's be quite a difficult tie. Um, oh, Tom, 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 can I just do a bit of a clean, um, special news edition on the new signing um, of um, Alan Sheehan? Yeah, of course you can. No, I'll do it. I'll go for it now. Okay. Yeah. I just want to say, Tom, I think the signing of um, of Alan Sheehan, I think it gives us a ghost of a chance. Right. <laughs> now, obviously, I don't, know, I don't know. Obviously, Kelvin's opened the coffers to make this signing. <laughs> we obviously haven't got the financial spending power of, of Wolf. <laughs> and I hope we don't end up, you know, in, in, with um, any like points deductions for like bad finances, like um, Sheffield Wednesday, the Owls. He's <laughs> 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 and a half. I know he's probably no uh, Stuart Psycho Pierce. And uh, all the sound effects that I've got on my son's uh, pound shop. Hall- Sound effects bots. <laughs> that's, that's a brilliant sound effects, man. You should be in Hollywood with those sound effects, man. They're just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Or at least, or at least local radio. Yeah. Shame <laughs> that um, we're not on C's in the alphabet because I could have been Danny Crow. <laughs> <laughs> this is an Alan Partridge level of sound effects. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, but if we do get beat by Oxford City, that would be just horrific, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That's the Halloween Cobblers uh, news roundup. It's brilliant. It it leads us into our Cobblers Halloween mashups as well that we've tweeted out. We tweeted out basically for people to come up with Halloween, uh, sorry, uh, horror film titles mashed up with Cobblers themes. And we've got some absolutely brilliant ones. I've my my faith in the Cobblers fan base has been restored, and everyone else. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. So, let's Andy. Do you remember the, yours? The ones you came up with. I've got them written down, but you can say them if you can remember them. Oh uh, well, well, this is it. I was really, I was really pleased with mine because I came up with one was basically doing a you know sheer celebration around my own lounge until yeah. Martin uh, just went on a run. You chipped in and then I had a look at the comments section on that tweet you put out. And yeah, mate, just talk about putting the shade. I mean, I was quite pleased with Rosemary's maybe. <laughs> That's a very niche one for followers of video recorders of Northampton Town. <laughs> That's all right. But That's I mean, good... some of the others. Jeez, I was, I was in awe. Was a video. 
Rosemary's made the real video nasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ian, have you got any? Uh, I liked Richard Hill um, has eyes. Yeah. Yep. One. Just by the way, can I just say that the Hills has eyes, the original Hills have eyes too. <laughs> The only film to ever involve a flashback, a dog having a flashback. The dog from the hills in the hills of eyes too has a has a flashback to a scene from the first film. You don't see that very often in films, do you? It's really up and down, isn't it? That's amazing. What is it? What does he flashback to? Without giving too many spoilers away for the horror. Fellow, his fellow dog getting killed by the um, cannibals, I think. Are they like that. mutants in that film? They're like mutants. Yeah. Like- yeah, it's actually it's possibly filmed on that wasteland behind um behind <laughs> Sickfields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's a, that's a classic, classic horror. We'll go to Martin's one now. He's got a few. He's not with us tonight because he's uh, he's too busy at death. But uh, <laughs> he's done some really good ones. Martin sent some in, and he's absent. He's gone for the uh, Ricky Holmes picture show, which is a good one. Let's do the time walk again. Uh, his are quite similar in terms of, and he's gone for Little Shop of Hoskins. Yeah, the, big fan of that. Is that Rick Moranis? Yes, it, it really is. is. Yeah. Isn't it like Talking Plants or something? They're, it's, they're like the, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a musical, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it's like a it's a man eating plant, like a Steve, Ma- Steve Martin's in it as well, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a decent one. And he's gone for a, probably his best, I would say. The rich, the Richard Hills have eyes, like Ian has talked about. Just a really good one. Shield and Slugger. A never home run from Slugger. <laughs> <laughs> I was struggling, to be honest with you. I was struggling all the way through this because mine and mine were terrible. And the last minute, I had a bit of inspiration. My first one, yeah, my first ones were pretty terrible. Then I went for the Texas Frainsaw Massacre. very good that's that's a belter some of the cobblers fans have come up with some great ones as well um alex o'donoghue he went for the six field sensor get as well as well as andy inspiration there steve at cobbler toad went for the nicky adams family just good one very good steve that's very good very good and uh he went for a bit of yeah a bit of a niche one for fans of uh hereford fc uh Nightmare on Edgar Street. <laughs> I quite like that one. He said he's been there a few times watching Northampton and it's always been a nightmare, so that's a good one. Um, A.D. Richards, he's found a little bit of inspiration tonight with this one. First of all, he went for Draculage. <laughs> yeah, he did. Which is, we were talking about Frank Large last week, weren't we? So that was a good one. Uh, I think I think Frank Large was scarier than Dracula for a lot of defenders. I tell you, after reading, reading some of the stuff about him in the week, I wouldn't want it down on me, I tell you. Especially with, um, yeah, uh, that story about him punching someone on the middle of the pitch and just walking off to London Ovation. Uh, yeah. But AD's best one, probably one of the best for me of the whole night, is the Wicker AD Man. <laughs> yeah, that's a zinger. Standing ovation. If only my sound effects box had a standing ovation um, noise, I'll tell you. Yeah. I'd have done it then. With the Wicker AD Man, AD's on fire. It's <laughs> <laughs> very good. AD, off my cap to you with the Wicker AD man. It's a brilliant one. James Avril went for the Matty Blair Witch Project, which is another a Blair, but similar theme to Andy's. And Keith B's gone for he's gone for quite a, uh, a modern one actually. This one Netflix at the moment. He's gone for 
The Haunting of Richard Hill House, which is a bit of a popular film on Netflix at the moment, a bit of a chiller. And for fans of 80s horror, which let's face it was the best one, I know it was 80s horrors in the video shops. I remember the, the, the cover for this one vividly because it was Pinhead, I think. It was called Pinhead. He's gone for Mickey Bellraiser. Very good. <laughs> That's a good one. Very good. That Do you remember the, the cover for that? It was like it yes. got all pins out of him, wasn't it? It was horrible yes. on, the, on the front of yes. the video. I do remember that, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So thanks for everyone that tweeted in. That was a bit of a last-minute thing, but we've had some really good ones for that. Um, Halloween's approaching, so let's just hope it's not a cobbler's horror show on Saturday. Right then, let's move on to Saturday's game between Wigan and Northampton, which looks like a relegation six-pointer already. I'm joined by Wigan fan and Twitter phenomenon, Luke, a.k.a. George Weir's cousin. He paid me to say that. How are you doing, Luke? You're right. <laughs> Yeah, all good. Thanks. Cheers for having me on. Yeah, no problem, mate. Are you are you looking forward to this game against Northampton on Saturday, or is it one where you just sort of like every game now is with trepidation? That's what I'm like. Yeah, it's. Um, I fa- I don't think there's been a single game yet this season where I've not said I'll take a point, which sort of tells you where we're at. So, um, but they're coming thick and fast at the moment, aren't they? You know, we seem to be playing every three or four days. So, you, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say looking forward to it, but. Um, no disrespect on paper, it's, it's a winnable game for us, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, no disrespect to you guys either. I think that sort of hitting you early in the season, you're in slight sort of disarray off the pitch with the takeover and stuff. That so it's probably a good time, if you are going to pick up, it's probably a good time to, to hit sort of uh, try and get yeah. a win now. Um, talk Definitely. to me a little bit about your, your internet persona, George Weir's cousin, because... You know, just looking at it on face value, you've got over 30,000 followers, which is mm-hmm. crazy. And tell me a little bit about how that sort of developed over the years. Yes, it started, it must be about four years ago now. Um, I've been using Twitter for five or six years, just in a, in a personal sense, where my account wasn't a lot different to what it is now in terms of, you know, I, I speak a lot about football, whether it's Wigan Athletic or, you know, just football in general. And then um, I started doing sort of like satire pieces um sort of fake quotes i think the first one i ever did was it was one about um it was when steve evans got the leeds job and i just came up with this quote that obviously steve evans hadn't said where he'd been criticizing leeds in the past and um yeah he'd end up going viral and the leeds fans were all up in arms and there were people trying to check whether it was legit and but by the time people had realized it was fake it had sort of it was already out there and um i just i kind of did that for about six months where i'd either do yeah, sort of like little satirical stuff or photoshops, that kind of thing. And yeah, my account just blew up. So like you say, I've got, you know, just under 40,000 followers now. But I think the bulk of them, I probably got them within about a year. Um, the other nine years of my account's just been been fairly normal. But yeah, I had that sort of year of doing that. And through that, I've ended up working in social media, which has been I've been really lucky with. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how it all happened overnight, really. So do you get people that literally think you are really are George Weir's cousin or people that are into George Weir? Do they follow you? Do you ever get any messages like that? Do you actually know George Weir? I get, um, so for a period I had my, like my DMs just open because like I say, I work in social media now. So, yeah. you know, quite often I'll get sort of inquiries for work and stuff like that. So I keep my DMs open and occasionally I'll get somebody who'll pop up from Liberia. Yeah. Um, who'll, yeah, who'll think the account is either actually George Weir or in some way related to to the man himself. But um, it's it's not happened for a while now, but there was a spell. I think there was a Liberian election going on at the time and it was it was quite a regular thing. I was uh, I was drinking in a pub one time and I was 
speaking to a couple of geezers and this geezer was like um you know George Weir came to a party in Northampton one time I was like what he's like yeah uh, George Weir he, he, he's Liberian and there was like some Liberian guys and stuff and he he turned up at his house party in Northampton yeah and I'm like come on you're pulling my pulling my leg and stuff but he was like he was straight down the line this this has happened i'm still waiting for <laughs> photographic evidence if ever george were ever turned up it's probably you actually just uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just uh it's just a funny one and it, i think because he's such a legend yeah oh for ac milan that maybe sometimes if you if you've got his moniker you might get a little bit of attention that way but i guess your your main sort of staple is like sort of you, the, the comedy elements and the satire that you still do now isn't it yeah absolutely do you um what was your most famous what what would be your most um you know most popular ever tweet you ever did um so i did one when it was when celtic lost to um i can't remember the name the team they played from gibraltar in the champions league qualifiers a few years ago yeah and uh, i sort of photoshopped so when sky sports news will do profiles on players or clubs and they have the badge at the side and they have sort of five bullet point facts. And they did one about this team that Celtic were playing. And I just photoshopped it to change all the facts where um, like one of the facts was that this team could only train on Tuesdays because the local metal detecting society used the pitch and <laughs> things like that. And Sky Sports actually ended up reading. They had they had a guest on who was, he was an ex-Celtic player. I can't remember which one it was now. And they read these facts out to him. Um, like you know, they'd, they'd obviously seen this clip doing the rounds because it had gone viral and assumed it was one of their own and just read these five completely bogus facts out to him after Celtic got beat. Um, I think it was Mike Wedderburn he was doing it at the time, bless him. But um, yeah, that one went quite went quite viral actually. <laughs> Does that worry you? How you know, not to use a Donald Trump term, fake news can actually be uh, sort of adapted into the real news so quite quickly. It, it does to be fair and that's one of the reasons why I don't really do it anymore like I haven't done it at all to be honest for a couple of years now but I actually um I did a did an interview with the BBC World Service Radio where it was all about fake news and this would be going back about three years now and there was me and there was a guy from The Onion um, yeah. obviously The Onion got like you know something daft like nine million ten million followers and you know it's like it, you know it is their job it's their career and whereas for me it was just a bit of a hobby and it kind of hit home like how serious it can be because yeah some yeah. of the stuff they were talking about it was back when um I think it was it was around the time Trump was elected and it was it was big it, fake news was a thing but it wasn't as much of a thing as it is now um yeah and it got to the point where I was thinking this could either land me in a bit of hot water or it could end up you know doing damage to somebody who's the subject to one of these pieces so I kind of got out of it and I think I probably got out of it at the right time to be honest yeah it's, it almost seems a little bit too easy to be able to do it in time in, in a way you come up yeah. with something you know you might think just for a laugh for yourself and then it can just blow up so you don't you have to be quite yeah. careful about what you do I guess I don't know if you saw the one um, a couple of days ago where Turned out to be just a sixth form student who'd made a fake account um, claiming to be Woolworths, claiming that Woolworths were coming back next year. Yeah, and it was in all the papers that you know Woolworths are coming back in 2021, and it's just some <laughs> kid doing it in his bedroom. And you think if he can do that, literally in the space of three or four hours, and it be in all the national papers, then it does show you how easy it is. Maybe it's a without getting too serious. It's a bit of an indicator of the decay of so-called serious journalism that a lot of it's now online so people are just picking up on stories here they're never not really checking the validity of them and just going with it and then Absolutely, stuff like yeah, that I think, blows up 
the Woolworths one, yeah, it would have been a case they probably looked at it and thought, we've got nothing to verify this. It's probably 50-50 whether it's true or not, but we know it'll get us a certain amount of clicks, a certain amount of shares, so we'll run with it. And, you know, if it turns out to be bollocks at the end of the day, then at least we've got a bit of interaction from it. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, that's just the media sort of all, all ends up now. Um, Have you been a Wigan fan for a long time? How long have you supported Wigan for? Yeah, so my first game would have been 95, 96, so I'm 30 now, sporting them all my life. Uh, my dad, so like my family's not from Wigan, but my mum and dad um, both kind of, both ended up um, sort of meeting near Wigan and settled in Wigan. And my dad, even though he wasn't a Wigan fan, he was a Burnley fan originally. Um, he just said, you know, take him to support his local club and I just kind of stuck with it. Fair, fair enough. And for a while, Wigan were hitting headlines, you know, in the Premier League and everything. But for a long time, Wigan, probably as unglamorous a side as Northampton. And we used to be regular sparring partners, especially back mm. in the day before um, Dave Wheeling got heavily involved. Um, our, yeah. A guy on our podcast, Andy Bodfish, he went to a game at Springfield Park. It must have been around 95. I think it was 97, he said it was. You think mm-hmm. you had the, 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 Spani- the Spanish guys, including Martinez? Yeah. Yeah, um, but Springfield Park was a whole different ball game to the JJB or whatever it's called now. Springfield Park was brilliant, and I think that that was in a way one of the things that sort of really got me into football. Was you know you'd go to these games, and obviously I wasn't watching players that were superstars, but you were so close to the action, and yeah, yeah. it was just you, you was it was back in the days where you could you know watch one half on one side of the stadium, walk round to the other side of the stadium, you know if your favourite player was playing on that side or. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was a good way to kind of get into football. Whereas I do wonder if I grew up now, um, what you know, whether I would have the same attraction to it as I did back then. Yeah, it sounds very similar to me and sort of other cobblers fans of my sort of vintage. But I reckon we're a, a special breed to an extent that we went to places like the County Ground, Northampton, or Springfield Park, Wigan, and we got a bit of a buzz for it when most. Most other people were like, this is a bit of a grief hole. It's not really my cup of tea, yeah. especially in Wigan as well, because you've got so many other clubs around there. It's a hotbed of football, yeah, really. Um, yeah, I just, I think that, yeah, it just takes a special sort of person. We're probably all a bit tapped in the head, but, you know, you take the highs and the lows with, with these sorts of football clubs. And, yeah, it's just it's just strange now that Wigan are, you've been on such an arc. How does it feel from going to such an arc right up there? to the Premier League and doing so well and having so many good players and to, you know, be in a relegation battle with Northampton. How does that feel? Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a weird one. I think, realistically, the vast majority of us knew that we could only put two of our weight for so long. We were never going to become an established Premier League club. And I think by the end of our time in the Premier League, it, it was also something that the vast majority of us weren't that fussed about anyway. You know, there's no... I'd, I'd compare it to maybe... I'm probably being a bit harsh, but maybe Burnley at the moment. I know they've had a couple of good seasons where they got into Europe and whatnot, but they're never going to be a top six Premier League club. And if you're not a top six Premier League club, you are literally just saying, start every season, we want 40 points, we want to win 10 games, um, maybe have a cup run. And that, that's kind of, that, that's all it is really. You know, you accept that you're going to get beat more than you're going to win. And I think the novelty of that had probably worn off for a lot of Wigan fans. Sure. What's the score now with... The takeover because I keep an eye on these sorts of things. Most mm-hmm. people probably don't uh, outside of Wigan. There was a yeah. Spanish consortium. Uh, of course, yeah. it's always a, some sort of consortium. I mean, not really yeah. any details about who they actually are. But what what's the latest from your you know your perspective about the mm-hmm. uh, potential takeover? 
So the guy who heads the consortium, he previously owned Albacete, and I think he took them from either the Spanish second or the Spanish third division to La Liga um, quite yeah. a few years ago now it would be. But um, he's the guy who's in charge of it. There's been various rumours, because obviously it came out, I think it was about three weeks ago now, that they've agreed this deal, that it just needed the EFL ratification. Um, and then it's all gone quiet, and then they've been calling today D-Day, actually. I think they're meeting with the EFL. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. We don't really know an awful lot about them. Um, there have been people in Spain who've kind of given us a little bit of information on them, and there are a group of people that are that have a track record of going into businesses that are struggling um turning it around and selling it on for profit which it's not ideal in terms of we'd, we'd obviously love you know another Dave Whelan family who are going to come in and love the club and you know have the club at heart but you know if they're going to come in and try and steady the ship it, it, you know it all depends what position they leave us in when they eventually decide to move us on yeah it's never ideal when you don't really know 100% the the motives behind the acquisition and Maybe all the, all the people involved is, is always a difficult one. I think that the yeah. supporters club were very keen to have a stake in the in the club, so that'd be a really interesting one to keep hold of, keep an eye on. I really think that they they need a stake in it, at least yeah, you know, at least if you get something yeah. like twenty percent in the club, because you know often with these things you worry if it's going to be out of the frying pan into the fire, and are you going to be in a similar mm-hmm. position, you know, five years down the line? So a supporter stake or a, at least a place on the club board can give fans a little bit of yeah. Right, so let's move on to Wigan's start to the season. It seems fairly similar to Northampton's pretty patchy. Yeah. So, to be polite, pretty patchy. Um, mm-hmm. You've lost against Milton Keynes, drew against Plymouth, which isn't too bad a result. You lost against Peterborough, lost against Crew, and you beat Doncaster. So despite the defeats, there are a couple of results which are quite promising. The, the win against yeah. Doncaster and the draw against Plymouth. Mm-hmm. How would you sum up your start to the season? I mean, it was a weird one. I think the first, so the first two games we played Ipswich away on the opening day, which was we pretty much, or I certainly pretty much just wrote it off as a, you know, a get nothing kind of game. And then we played Gillingham the week after. But at that time, we were still, you know, you literally had players signing on the Friday afternoon to play on the Saturday because we were, the squad was that threadbare at the time. And John Sheridan came in a couple of days before. So, those two games, yeah, they weren't, you know, losing those wasn't a big deal in my opinion. And then we beat Portsmouth away, um, which was a bit of a shock. And we beat Doncaster at home. Sort of those two wins came within five days of each other. And we beat um, Liverpool's under 23s, 6-1 in the checker trade, which I know is, is meaningless, but it was good to kind of get two or three wins together. And that gave us a little bit of hope that um, for the first time in a few months, there was, you know, a positive a positive week for the club um, and then <clears throat> since that Doncaster game yeah like you say we've lost a crew we've lost a Peterborough we're, we're in a position where obviously at the moment we're not expecting to beat the likes of Peterborough at this level um, injuries are not helping us at the moment we've probably only got I would say a, a base of 11 12 senior pros at the club whereas the rest are all kids um, and once you start getting two or three injuries from that 11, then it, it becomes very difficult. We've got a lot of players playing out of position. I think we've used eight players at centre-back already this season. You know, you just have no idea from one day to the next, one week to the next, who's going to be on the pitch. So I think if we if we kept the squad fit, I think we're probably a lower mid-table team. Um, with us having injury problems, we are absolutely in, in that shake-up for relegation at the moment, which is, which is why we're where we are. 
How's your manager getting on, would you say? Obviously, the results aren't great, but John mm-hmm. Sheridan's been around the block. Yeah. Hands. Didn't his brother play for Wigan? He did, yeah. Darren played for a sort of late 90s. Um, scored a winner for us in the playoffs against Millwall once. Um, he's, to be, I mean, my view on him is that he ain't going to be here. I'd be amazed if he's here beyond Christmas. I think yep. it was always going to be the case if any new owner would have their you know, their man or an idea of the type of manager they want. And John Sheridan was basically just there to, you know, steady the ship. Um, at the minute, we, because of the squad we've got, we, we can't have a philosophy. We can't have a, a distinct style of play. It's a case of getting 11 players on the pitch and, you know, try and ground out a result. And I think for that kind of team, he's probably not a bad a bad option to have. He's certainly not what most of us would want going forward, but beggars can't be choosers at the minute. And yeah, I think the wins against Portsmouth and Doncaster were two games where, you know, even out of the nine we've played, those are probably the two over the maybe Peterborough that you would have looked at and said we've no chance there, but he managed to grind out a couple of wins. I think for a lot of fans, it, it's, it's still a shock. You know, we look at sort of July, August time, you know, we were battering... Hull 8 nil, and we were beating, you know, we were matching Fulham on the last day, even though we only drew. And we were playing a lot of teams in the top half of the championship and outplaying them. So to go from that to playing teams like Plymouth and not being expected to win the game, it stuck to a lot of people. I think there's a few fans where it's, it's not really sunk in yet that Wigan Athletic are now a lower League One side. We're not, you know, we're not in a bad run of form in a way. We are just that's just the level we're at now. So, yeah. Um, who would you say your players to watch out for? Oh, uh, you sort of already answered it to an extent, and that it's just whoever whoever is on the pitch at one from one game to the next. But have you got a player that, for instance, like Joe Garner's been talked about as a good good striker? Yeah, I mean Joe Garner's obviously at this level. He's a good striker. Um, he was. You know, we've we've got a group of about four or five players that, without being disrespectful to them, are still here because nobody wanted them. So we lost 15 players in summer. We managed to keep Joe Garner. We kept Cal Naismith. Uh, we kept Lee Evans, and we kept um, Gavin Massey as well. And they're the sort of four remaining players, if you like, from being in around the first team last year. So unfortunately, a couple of them are getting a lot of stick at the moment. And to be fair, some of it is is deserved because it, it looks like they've down tools a little bit. You know, they're aware that they're only here because nobody wanted them. Their wages were halved upon relegation as well. So it's obviously not a great it's not a great place for them to be at the moment. But the minimum we expect is for them to give a hundred percent. And unfortunately, some of them aren't doing it. Uh, so players to watch. It's it's tricky because yeah, the better players, like I said, they're not really giving it hundred percent. So. Um, Joe Garner's still giving it his all. He's captain in the team's uh, most weeks. We've got a guy, uh, Viv Solomon Otterbor, who was at Birmingham for a while, and then I think he went abroad. He's he's looked he's looked a good player. He's quick. Um, he can beat a player, which he's probably the only one who can do that for us at the moment. So he's he's a live wire. However, he was injured the other night, so again, we don't know whether he'll play at the weekend. Um, but to be fair, a couple of the younger players. So we've got a lad called Chris Murray in midfield who's been at the club for a number of years, come through the ranks. Um, he's not put a foot wrong for us this season in midfield. I think our main issue at the moment is the defence. Like I said, we've used about eight different players at centre-back. We've got midfielders at right-back. We've got right-backs at left-back. And 
we're really struggling to to keep clean sheets. I think we've only kept one so far this season. So we're, we're capable of nicking a goal. We've got a couple of players at that end of it, decent players at this level. Um, so one to watch, yeah, you'd, you'd probably say the obvious one is Joe Garner, I think. Yeah, it seems quite similar to Northampton. Although we haven't got perhaps the, the injury problems that you've had and the off-field stuff, it just feels like our manager doesn't really know his, his best team. There's a lot of yeah. squad rotation that's going on. It just feels like this game is almost like whoever's the least worst will win. Yeah. <laughs> and whoever no, loses are a bang in trouble because you know none of us are particularly good. So whoever actually mm-hmm. manages to lose this one is going to be right in the, in the stick, I think. So... Let's go to a match prediction then. And I'm struggling with this even now. During the conversation, I've been thinking about what what I'm going to go with. And I, I, I'm struggling now. I'll let you go first and then I'll take the pressure off myself. Okay. What do you reckon the score is going to be between Wigan and Hampton? It, it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, but I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. And I think okay. on the basis of we, we can't keep clean sheets, but we do yeah. have you know do have a couple of players capable of a goal. And I think it'll be similar to the Plymouth game last week where it was... It was tight. Both teams had chances. Both teams probably lacked a little bit of quality um, and ended up being all square. A lot of our home games this season have been like that. You know, we only lost 1-0 to Peterborough. We only lost by a goal to Gillingham, beat Doncaster by a goal. So they've all been tight games at home and I think it'll be similar this weekend. Yeah, I think it's going to be tight. I just, we haven't got the problems that you've got in terms of playing a right back at left back necessarily. We've got probably more of a, a stronger squad on on paper, maybe you've got a bit more quality, you've got players that have slightly a bit more pedigree about them. But I would say we just we've just haven't had all the problems that you've had. So we've got yeah more players to choose from. But then again, Keith Carr doesn't really seem to know his best side. We got tonked four 0 by Portsmouth going into this game, so that is really not good for confidence. <laughs> it it just depends, I think, what team just goes for it and, and, and sees the, the severity of the situation because you don't want to be yeah. stuck in this, in this relegation battle now. So Keith Curl will probably be saying, look, don't worry about this Portsmouth game. It's all about this Wigan and an MK game coming up. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. are the games we've really got to go for. And I reckon it, it depends which players are, are bang up for it. And you said maybe some of your players are, you know, maybe going through the motions a little bit. So that might yeah. be something in our favour. But if you've got someone like Garner up front, with that sort of quality and the weakness in our defence, because our defences are, you know, weak link at the moment. It's just, yeah. I'll go for, oh, I might have to go for one all as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. One one all, I just think, we're not very good up front either. So, <laughs> I mean, we're not very I good either. The thing is as well, if, you know, whoever takes the lead, I don't see, you know, either side then saying, right, we want to get a second, we want to get a third. I think whoever gets the lead will kind of say, Right, yeah. we'll take this. You know, we'll take a one nil, and then if that happens, you start inviting pressure on. And like you say, neither defence is brilliant, so that might not be the best tactic. But um, yeah, definitely see a close one. Tell us a bit about your your fanzine and your podcast you do yourself. Yeah, so I mean, the fanzine is obviously Mud Hutter, which is run by Jimmy Tarbuck, um, who I'm sure a lot of people will know of. Obviously, he's been doing that for a long, long time now, and he started a podcast. It's actually a guy called Alan Moore who started a podcast called The Pirate Night. Yeah. Um, in conjunction with Jimmy, so there's sort of four or five of us who da- do that on a fairly regular basis. Um, it's kind of, especially the last year or so, last couple of years, really. It's been, it's been, it's a light-hearted podcast. You know, we don't sort of go too much in depth on, yeah. on the matches because a lot of the time, if we did it, it'd bore people sense us talking about us getting beat all the time. But um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, we just we talk all things. We talk football. Um, 
food, drink, whatever it is. And yeah, we try and do one sort of every few weeks, um, which is good. Um, I'm based in London now. So, I, you know, when, whenever I get to do it, it's, it's, it's a Skype one like this. Um, whereas we initially started it, we were doing it in a pub, um, which was good fun. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's a decent listen to the pie at night if anyone wants to give it give it a go. Yeah, yeah, we'll have a little listen to it after the game. Hopefully, we can uh, listen to you all moaning about how terrible you are because we're beating you. But you never know. We yeah. live in hope as the fans of fans and Wigan fans. But thanks for taking the time to talk to me, and I'll speak to you soon, mate. No problem. Cheers for having me on. Cheers, mate. Let's move on to, as we always do with Wallet Podcasts, let's move on to something completely different with no relation to the previous thing we've been talking about, which is back to the 80s. Let's, let's just move back in our minds to the 1980s. It was a time of hope. Cobblers were in, you know, Division Four, routing the league, about 1987, 88, that sort of time. They were just uh, amazing, untouchable. Richard Hill's Buffon was just in its own world. And we had, um, what was the chairman called? Derek Banks. Derek Banks in those days. Derek Banks. Banks Tobacco, Empresario, Mr. Monte Cristo. If you wanted a Cuban cigar, he was a man to go for, to go to. Um, he had some bigger pick, bigger plans for Northampton Town, and they found themselves in a in a magazine of the time where his plans for Northampton Town were spelt out, and it was just a a summary of Northampton Town at that time. And these were plans that, if they came to pass, man, we could have been in a whole different place. I'll pass over to Andy to explain more about this. Well, thank you. Uh, yes. Um, Football Today, which was a short-lived publication. Um, late 80s and just got it in my hands actually um, survived the uh, leaky garage roof May 1987 edition of Football Today there's a special feature on the FA Cup semi-finals Tottenham Watford and um, Coventry Leeds and then yeah if you just leave, leave through um, yeah talk of your town and it was um, it was the Cobblers Northampton chairman Derek Banks has pledged a bright new future for the Cobblers at a brand new purpose built ground on the outskirts of the developing East Midlands town, as well as a 17,500 capacity stadium. There are also plans for an international athletics track with its own spectator facilities and provision for a dry ski slope. Um, Random as you like that, but um, different. I was always taken with that, I think, because there was always, do you remember, there was always a a dry ski slope sort of on the A45 near Wellingborough. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) some sort of underground um, you know, skiing scene in the Midlands that the cobblers knew about and nobody else did. Um, the total <laughs> cost, including the stadium, has been put at 12 million quid. But if the plan is approved by the local council, the football club will be given the stadium and associated facilities at no cost to themselves. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a time capsule magazine. And obviously that was, what, so that was seven years before Six Fields opened. Um, all this was down at Brackmills, by the way. That was the uh, proposed um, development site. Um, and although it didn't happen there, of course, not, not too long after that, um, you know, they got, they got spades in the ground for Six Fields, I suppose. So it's just quite nice looking at this. Um, Such a shame it never came off. Can you imagine Northampton with, at that time, 17,500 stadium which would have sorted us right out would have been absolutely spot on um a international athletics track so not just any old athletics track not just the one we finally got which was just Northampton, Northampton yes with its own spectator facilities 
and a Joyce Key type. Andy, this would have been perfect for you. You'd have just been toddling down to Bratmills to do all your international commentary. Well, you? a kind of, you know, one-stop shop for all your sort of Olympic winter and summer needs, really. Um, and it, 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 would have, it would have happened at Bratmills. Oh, man. Man, hey. man could have been the Eddie the Eagle Edwards for the 90s, couldn't he? <laughs> he really could have been, actually. Uh, I actually think Sixfields is in a better place than Bratmills to get to. You know, if you're, a, if you're an away yeah. fan who's coming on the train, a walk through St. James isn't, you know, especially when there's loads of pubs en route, it's nothing, is it? And even if you like, you, you spend a bit of time in town, but, you know, yeah. like get from the town centre to Brackmills, where I was trying to think this, if I was to walk it, like I was to do the Welly Road and then try and get to the game at Brackmills, that, that wouldn't have been much fun, would it? You'd like, you'd walk down <laughs> like, past the hospital and then like through the sort of, I don't know, there's not really a lot there, is there? There's a big lake. And you're walking down a dual carriageway like Alan Partridge singing. <laughs> but Ian, like you you got you got an issue with like walking to Blackwinners, which is fair enough. But think about a dry ski slope, Ian. A dry ski slope next to a football stadium. It would just have been a such a draw, wouldn't it? Can you imagine those people skiing when the game is on, not looking at the game whatsoever? It'd be absolutely brilliant. These people had vision. Derek Banks, I think he's just he was a visionary. He... Well, I used, to, I used to play golf at um, Cold Ashby and like, you know, the two or three times, uh, the two or three days a year when it snows, Northampton Ski, Northamptonshire Ski Club, like, base themselves there. They've actually, they used to actually have a, sh- they might still have it, a shed with all their ski gear in. And if it like snows once every, you know, a couple of years, <laughs> you'll go up there. But I'm surprised no one's done that on those hills around six fields anyway, because, I mean, that would make a good, like, normal ski slope, surely. Mate, that's diversification right there. Ian, um, you're, Ian, you're no. telling me there's a Northampton Ski Club, one of the most flattest places on in England? Have you been to Cold Ashby, the village? It's, no, it's, no, probably not. It's called Cold Ashby because it is the coldest point in the in the in the county, and there's some big hills there. I think there's a, ra- there's a radio transmitter there because it's so high up. So, like, it's the one place in the county you probably could ski. <laughs> this is uh, this is amazing. This is a, I've never heard of it. I've, I've, I've never been to Cold Ashby. I didn't know it was named Cold Ashby because it was cold. Yeah. <laughs> I did know this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it sounds like I'm being facetious, but I'm learning a ton on this. It's the sort of things <laughs> I like to learn. I mean, the coldest place in Northampton, and, you know, it sounds like I'm taking the, the Michael, but I'm not. And the fact that, that King's Heath is, was designed in the shape of the crown. Bob Marley and the Whalers paid King's Heath as well. That so as well. I didn't know that. Add that, add that, add that to your little uh, list. But, um, yeah, we, we we put it around the little group about, can we think of a name for this ski slope at uh, Northampton, which should have existed and didn't actually ever. And Martin came up trumps again. I've got one of myself, but mine's terrible. Martin has gone for the Alistair Slope. <laughs> which I think is really good. And perhaps we should, perhaps, you know, certain ideas, a bit like the Millennium Bridges, and Ian's probably got a few more that was meant for Northampton, that got, never made the lot of day. Maybe we should re- reinstate them. And maybe we should do a campaign for Bring Back the Ski Slope. I think that's it. But on the back there, do you know remember the, the trust was saying about a velodrome? Maybe thinking a bit too small. A ski slope behind Sixfields. My idea for the name of this ski slope, oh, I just can't get it out of my mind. And it's a, actually a uh, forgotten cobbler as well. And uh, Andy will probably rem- remember his name for another club. I'm going for Mount Derrick Mountfield. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he, he played for cobblers for like... 
<laughs> We're getting dissed by a child's toy now. I've hit a new low. Uh, um, yeah. Derek Mountjoy played under Ian Atkins, I think, but I think he, he used to play for Villa. Uh, well, it was Everton, wasn't it? Um, Everton, I think, I think yeah. no, Villa as well, also. But didn't he um, win the um, Cup Winners' Cup? That famous Everton win when Atkins would have been, oh, I think, on the bench or certainly part of the squad in 1985. Wasn't so that Mount part of that team? I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Probably, link. Yeah, yeah. Just because he's won the European Cup doesn't mean he can get in the cobbler's side. Just, just so he doesn't forget that. <laughs> so yeah, we'll return to the ski slope literally when we've got it built uh, in the next few weeks. We'll get that campaign going. But it's just a great story. And cheers for Andy for going through the archives. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let's hope it takes off. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on to our cobbler's A to Z. Probably our last feature for tonight. Um, Ian has done really well with this one because we get every week we get some really good answers and we're on the letter g this week of the conversator z slowly getting through it has anyone else got one from around the group yeah i was going i'll go for john gregory oh yeah great. i always thought he was like a homegrown player i mean he, he played for us as a youngster but according to wikipedia it's from from scunthorpe but yeah 187 games for the cobblers and eight goals in the uh in the 70s played under bill dodging Junior, not Bill Dodging Senior, and he, of course, an England international as well. Yeah, he had a little run when um, one of the players that Bobby Robson looked at after taking over in after that Spain World Cup in '82. I think he won, well, maybe four or five caps, something like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, did, yeah did six him in the end, but yeah, you know, he sort of he, at least he got in the setup. Yeah, six yeah. caps ring, six caps, six ring. caps ringing. Yeah, there you go. Very good player. My dad used to go occasionally in the seventies, wasn't it, on the hotel end? And he was called John Knocker Gregory. He's called Knocker, which is his name, Knocker. And apparently the fans, it was sort of split on how good he was. Some thought he was really good. Someone used to go Knocker, Knocker when he used to make a mistake or whatever. But so, uh, have you got one, Andy? For G? Oh uh, yeah, again, uh, you know, because I oh, just, I'm just gutted that the nineteen eighties ever ended, mate. Really. So um, yeah. Yeah, I just cast my mind back to um, good old Dave Gilbert, one of my favourites, mm-hmm. and um, Gl- Glenville Donegal. What who, a name. Um, We've talked about him a few times, just, haven't we? Yeah, the name. the yeah. name is just amazing. Yeah, I just got massive time for um, the fact he was never shortened to Glen. You know, <laughs> he, he just really remained a Glenville. Um, and, of course, um, whether or not he founded that brilliant nightclub over billion way or not i you know i haven't haven't checked that but there was a, a nightclub called glenville's we used to go to yeah, well. that. he's got um, it's got to be something to do with that i guess because there can't be that many glenville's in the world i reckon it's got to have some link maybe it was a cobbler's fan maybe glenville himself well, it's a mystery that we'll have to find out can you describe uh, what he was like as a footballer andy for people that he was a, from memory he was a kind of um a sort of gang gangly target man really Okay. Um, I, I always remember a, a match against, I think it was Walsall, in between Christmas and New Year, probably 88, something like that. Yeah. And uh, I think it was his debut, came up with uh, trading 2-0. And, um, yeah, he just came on and before you knew it, bang, he'd scored two goals. One was a, a trap and a turn and a larrap in at the Spion Cop end. Um, I think that was the two-all goal, and I just remember it because what what happened there, and it was Christmas, and we went home happy, and all this, that, and the other. And I don't really um, remember him doing an awful lot after that, but um, 
Yeah, it's just a name that always stuck with me, and he just looked like a thoroughly nice fella, smiling <laughs> in his, his Pempic photos. And um, yeah, I just like to have sat down with him and you know chewed the fat over sort of life and love and stuff, you know. In Glenville's, of course, just just chew his ear in Glenville's. <laughs> yeah, we'd just find a nice sofa and um, <laughs> you know, uh, just have a uh, chat, have a chat for a bit. Hoffmeister. You know. <laughs> yeah yeah just he, he's up there with the best cobblers ever names maybe we should do that as a feature best people with the best names he's up there um let's go with some of the ones that our tweeters have tweeted and we've got quite a few this week ian's uh, unleashed a monster on us aiden boyer has gone for a really good one and he gets double points for this one because it's gabor jeppers the hungarian yeah. uh center back who was just a fantastic player and just right. tuned right. for us Remember him, and just really quality on the ball, wasn't he? He had like just ele- that sort of well, little bit of time on the ball. More than great bit else. of great bit of business from Stuart Gray, wasn't he? It was another one that he kind of got out of his out of the hospital. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, didn't he have a rod in his leg or something? Uh, that he, I think he he had some kind of clause in his contract where if someone came in with a bit of a certain amount, he had to go. But he was very happy to play for us to get game time. I think we got a lot of money for him. He'd played in the Champions League, hadn't he, before he played for us? He was a Hungarian international, which... He definitely played carry. for Hungary, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't carry as much weight as it used to do, but look, playing for Hungary. But I think if... Well, I'll, let, I'll let Andy go off and do a little, little bit of Googling while we talk, but cause just to find out who he played for. But I think he might have played for someone like Ferenc Varos or someone like that. He played for... Um, he, he had a good pedigree. Uh, yeah, got it up already. Shout, yeah, Ferenc Varos, you bang on. And then Wolves yeah. for a couple of years, and then... 15 games for town in um, 2008. His yeah, class definitely showed. He was, he was very good. Signed for, he went to Cardiff probably too soon for us, but a brilliant player. And I think he had a really bad knee injury. That's how we got hold of him. But that's a really good one from Aiden. That's a double G as well, which is always good. Um, <laughs> Rodney Marshall's gone for Neil Grayson. Sort of say no more. He's been covered fairly extensively by us, but just a legend of a player. Cobbler's past has gone for Frank Grand. That's Ethan Grand's account. He's gone for his um, granddad Frank, which Andy has talked a lot about in previous episodes and we've used it, uh, using his history book. So that's just a brilliant legacy. Frank Grand, he died in 2019. Cobbler's historian. Uh, Rodney Marsh has also gone for Wakeley Gage. Another really good name, Wakeley. You don't see these names anymore. Northampton-born Gentle Giant, who won Player of the Year a record number of times. I wasn't aware of that. Um, Andy knows a fair bit about Wakeley. Uh, Pat Gavin, who literally saved the club from going non-league. Pat Gavin Vass and Dave Gilbert, who'd won the left foot, was key in our record-breaking title winning side. So that's three more good ones from Rodney Marshall. Uh, Adam Cobblers has gone for Game of the deca- Decade. Cobblers nil. Cobblers three, sorry. Cheltenham nil. What a totally brilliant performance from beginning to end. Taking over a 2-0 home deficit to reach the playoff final. Or can't forget that game. Just a brilliant end to an interesting season. Uh, Deborah Marshall's gone for uh, Gavin's ass. Another one from the 80s songbook. Knocker <laughs> <laughs> Gregory. Debs has gone for Knocker Gregory as well, Ian, so you're in good company. And Marco Gabardini, Martin's favourite. Another really good player and uh, with a brilliant pedigree play for Sunderland and people like that. Mark Webber, BBC's finest, has gone for Garden Chair. <laughs> which is a funny one. The steward's seat often grabbed and held high during pitch invasions, celebrations at Cobblers. I've seen a few people grab that uh, garden chair that's by the side of the pitch. Quick Whittington has done quite a few for us with his um, little interesting pen name. 
he's gone for Gary Thompson. I think that's a really good one. I was going to go for Gary Thompson myself. And Ian, did you hear the interview with Gary Thompson that time? Yeah, when very he, good. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I yeah, I wasn't really sh- that aware at the time of his actual pedigree as a footballer. Came through at Villa, scored in the derby v uh, Birmingham City. Just a really solid player. Played with um, some amazing players. And just a, a big, massive character that Ian Atkins brought in for the, that particular reason and was really important and unsung part of that whole story, wasn't he? And I liked his stories about, you know, when he was getting into management as well. Uh, really, really interesting. You know, he, um, I think he was saying about the advice that Harry Redknapp gave him um, when he was talking about the directors. He said, like, have you made him your best mate yet? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even, if, even if you... Even if you hate their guts, you've got to be their best mate. You've got to say, you know, because oh, that way, when they're thinking, oh, should I sack him or not? And I think, no, no, he's a good guy. He's my mate, you know. Yeah. Um, he didn't like the politics, did he? He didn't like the politics of the boardroom. He, he didn't like that kind of thing, I think. I think he just wanted to do do an honest job, which kind of understand that as well. But, yeah, it, really good. He was saying how he, he, he left, didn't he? And it was the, um, the Arsenal friendly. That was his last, just before he left. Mm. It's a shame, really, because he was doing quite well in management and perhaps something that maybe he needs to get back into if he can get an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, Gary Thompson, big big guy, big character. James Bland's gone for Ali Gibb. I think it's been a bit unfair to Ali Gibb here because I thought he was all right, but he's put sprint to the corner, fall on your ass, spaller it beyond the box and out for a throw for Ali Gibb. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was slightly better than that. <laughs> but he was only in Atkins signing, wasn't he, Andy? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's um, it's, it's it's a description I I, I recognise. I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Ali Gibb. I I thought he was pretty decent, but yeah, I think time maybe hard, hard worker. Yeah. <laughs> Good runner. Dust. <laughs> a willing yeah. runner, as it was called. Yeah. Mark Josiah has gone for Grimsby away during Colin Calderwood promotion season. Last minute, Ryan Gilligan equaliser. So he's gone for two Gs in one. That's pretty clever. After balloons went off prematurely in front of the expectant home fans who thought they'd be joining us in promotion, but they needed to win. They lost in playoffs and got relegated season after. Do you remember that, any, Ian? Yeah. Um, I didn't go. My mates went. And um, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it, they really, really enjoyed that moment. Um, and um, the rest of the trip sounded very similar to um, Andy's visit to Wigan, to be honest, which made their, um, which made that Gilligan goal even sweeter um, for them after the horrible time they had there on the way to the game. So, yeah. Aidan Shah has gone for Charlie Good with a down face emoji, emoji bit of a... Bit of a sad one, really. Not really playing too much with Brentford would make a huge difference for the Cobblers side, but that's that's business, that's football, I guess. Uh, Gavin Foster has gone for free, actually. Gary Hughes, I think he's one of the forgotten Cobblers. I think he was under Ian Atkins. Don't quote me on that one. Yeah, he was. He was Atkins. Yeah. Gary Thompson, who we've talked about, but a really good choice. Uh, Gary Johnson. Oh, wow. What can you say about <laughs> Gary Johnson? But Gavin Foster's gone for a really good one, which is Guillaume Bowser. The Spaniard, the luxurious long hair. And he was just a very talented, skillful guy. Didn't yeah, really play. play for too long, did he, Ian? Not too long. No, no but he was he was class, wasn't he? He was another good... Another one that sort of in that era, in the noughties, that, you know, we had a few, didn't we? Like Barino didn't stay around, but certainly made their mark while they were here. And you watched them and thought, oh, yeah, there's a bit of quality there. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, A.D. Richards, who's done quite a good few good answers for us tonight. He's got a couple, but I'm going to go for... We've got Gilligan, of course, Ryan Gilligan, who we interviewed and showed us sort of different sort of levels of depth to his sort of character and personality and stuff we didn't really expect, really, and especially becoming an architect, which is pretty amazing. Um, A.D. Richards has gone for Peter Gleesha. Now... Oh. He, how many games did Peter Gleesha play, Andy, off the top of your head without looking? It's quite oh, a lot, mate. I'm just trying to think he, of the years. He's he's so, the when I was looking up um, Flash Fowler last week, he was yeah. after Samo. He was attendant. He was appearance number number three in the all-time appearance list. Gleesha. Who Gleesha? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell while Andy's looking. I'll tell you my Gleesha story. I'll never forget oh. the year. He's been. So obviously, you know, like player of the year used to be a really big thing. You used to get your like your um, caricature on a on a kind of mock-up cron framed given to you before the game, didn't you? And I remember him getting his. He didn't drop it, really. But I remember like I remember the year when um, the year like we won with Carr. You know, we won the league with Carr. They didn't give it to Hill because I think everyone thought, well, he's leaving, so they gave it to Benjamin. And then the year after that, might have been Singleton or someone. The year after that, I think because they felt sorry for all like the hard work he was having to go through they gave it to Gleesia and I'll never forget that like he got the big you know the big um uh, presentation before the game and then he had an absolute howler about a minute later into the game <laughs> he's like I think he got dropped one on the line or or did something like that and everyone was thinking we just gave you the player of the year trophy <laughs> and then a minute later you do that but yeah now a driving instructor as well it would have to be what the hot the high 200s because Samson no, higher was higher than that, higher, higher than that. Oh, oh yeah. Samson was oh three. According to my information, three hundred and fifty, something like that. Now, according to my information, it is four hundred and twelve. Let's wrap up for it tonight, guys. We're talking for a while. I'm going to um, go and get my salopets on and my skis ready to go on the uh, <laughs> new cobbler <laughs> ski slope. Let's hope it's not downhill for town on Saturday. I'm just going to get back in my coffin now. See you later, guys. I'm, I'm settling in for the night. <laughs> <laughs> night, 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 guys. Remember, the Richard Hills have eyes. <laughs> See you later, guys. Take it easy. Yeah. I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> See you, man. See you later. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.